And welcome once again to Father Spitzer's Universe at the very busy intersection where faith and reason intersect and many times collide. I'm, I'm Doug Keck, the gatekeeper here at the Mothership where it all began 42 years ago, Mother Angelica Way, EWTN's home base. And email your questions to us at spitzersuniverse at EWTN.com. Especially important because today is basically going to be answering your questions. So we have to check out all of Father Spitzer's websites as well, themagiscenter.com, personaluniverse.com, and spitzercenter.org as well. And Father Spitzer's Universe is always available on our EWTN YouTube channel and the EWTN On Demand page. And while you're at it, on our On Demand page, you can enjoy Mother Angelica's world-famous witty wisdom with all her favorite shows, including a very powerful, and this is, you know, from the heart with Mother Angelica, where there's wit and wisdom, but there's a lot of really deep insights uh, from those shows. Those were based on holy hours that she did, so, you know, they were really powerful, where she tells the faith exactly what they need to hear to follow Jesus always, but in a loving way, regardless of what people like to think. And it's always free, and it's always on demand, and in demand on EWTN's on-demand page. And of course, anything with Mother Angelica, of course. And today, answering your viewer questions, not me, of course, but uh, Mr. Universe will be answering those shortly. So we'll turn to him out on the West Coast, put some pressure on him there. Uh, <laughs> you, got, you got your thinking cap on today, so uh, welcome, oh, yeah, Father. I do, I do. Okay, great. So if you can uh, <laughs> kick everything off with a prayer, that'd be great. I would. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, the blessing especially of this ministry and our ability to serve in it. Please send your Holy Spirit down upon us now, Doug, myself, our whole audience and staff, so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. We ask this through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray for us in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen amen always great to see you father how's everything going everything's going great uh, okay couldn't couldn't be better except uh, we live in the secular culture we live in right absolutely <laughs> well that's why that's why we've got you so let's get to our questions uh, on this program to catch up with all the emails we keep getting from people here uh, on this program. Dear Father Spitzer, I have struggled with pornography for 12 years. I've made progress and have received healing in certain areas, but still struggle with an affection for this sin. I have a strong relationship with my guardian angel. Is it possible to give him more power over my life in order to combat this sin? Andrew. Hmm. Well, Andrew, um, I suppose it's always possible to to give the, your guardian angel more power over you, although I I wouldn't know uh, how to do that. Right. I, I think the main thing, though, is, you know, uh, the, the, an addiction is so powerful because, right, the pleasure circuits uh, in, in the brain have already been, as it were, etched um, by um, the addiction. And so you, you have to sort of overcome it, um, you know, by sheer dint of habit. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's like any other addiction. and. Uh, there are 12-step programs that, that can help, um, you know, just for um, uh, people with an addiction to pornography. Mm -hmm. There are also, you know, uh, computer things you can do mm -hmm. where you can get, for example, a group um, uh, to help you monitor 
uh, what you are bringing on to your computer because right. it, the pornography is so easily accessible. And so you can do that. But uh, in terms of just praying, uh, I, I would just go through the, the normal things that I go through uh, in terms of moral conversion. Uh, I know I reflect on, on myself, you know, uh, to myself, well, for example, what would be the downside of continuing with whatever, you know, my sin is? In the case of pornography, you might want to say something. Well, here the, the downside is it's just killing my emotional intimacy. It's killing my, you know, workplace productivity. It's killing my um, affect so that I'm so, uh, as it were, uh, inured of, you know, these images that, you know, it's hard for me even to concentrate on my friends and God and just, you know, the normal things of life. Uh, so, um, uh, you know, I, I think about that and I think, I just don't want this for myself. Mm -hmm. And it helps me to, to have that uh, resolution. And the second thing is, is, you know, I, I look at, you know, this in terms of my eternal mm -hmm. life, you know, that I'm just giving the devil power over mm -hmm. me. I, I, pornography is such a portal for the evil spirit to get not only into our lives, into our culture's lives. I think, you know, in many ways, it's just this huge opening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we know how destructive it is. We know that the more people look at pornography, the more their prayer life slips into nothingness. And that huge study from the University of Oklahoma just shows it. So I reflect, you know, to myself, um, you know, gosh, you know, I don't want to give the evil spirit power over me. I want to give God power over me, which is exactly what you're asking, your guardian angel power over you. Right. So it's, again, it's a motivation pill, but there is this little uh, prayer called the examine prayer mm -hmm. um, and I think is very, very helpful for um, helping us cultivate good habits uh, in our lives. It was a prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola, um, but there are several, like Father Gallagher has written right, right. Um, well, some Timothy very Gallagher, good books right. on, mm -hmm, that's and right. We've done several on programs the, with um, him, very popular, very popular, right? Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. And he's got a good simple way of doing the examine prayer. One of his mm -hmm. books is on that. Mm -hmm. So uh, rather than take the time now to explain it, uh, you might want to get um, Tim, Timothy, Father Timothy Gallagher's book right. and um, on, on the examine prayer and just look at that as a way of really helping you get that prayer and that grace conduited into your life. But remember also your own resolve. Mm -hmm. I don't want to give the evil spirit power over me and this does that. And I don't want to do things that are going to harm me, my relationship with my family and workplace, etc. Right. And so those, you put all three together and that might help you a whole lot. Right, I would think, you know, one of the things too, and, and at least you deal with people through Alcoholics Anonymous, they're always alcoholics, even if they're not drinking. And people who are addicted to these things uh -huh. in many ways are always addicted. And, it, and it's always going to yeah. be a struggle to keep from giving in to the addiction, so to speak, which is why it's so important for people to not get started, right? Absolutely, and I think that's one of the big, big problems is that uh, um, when you do get started, you know, the habit forms so quickly, mm -hmm. then the pleasure centers of the brain get affected, uh, almost, you know, habitualized so quickly. Mm -hmm. And so it, it is the fastest moving addiction. And it's also because of the accessibility, right? You don't, 
have to pay for half of this stuff. It's there. It's mm -hmm. everywhere. Uh, and they start you off free of charge, obviously, to get you addicted. And so um, with alcohol and with the drugs, you're con you have to contend with substances, payments, and things like that. Mm -hmm. But don't worry with the pornography thing. It starts off free. But of course, as you get progressively more addicted, the cost will go up too. Right. But I would suggest getting a support group like Covenant Eyes right. or something like that, or um, uh, you know, some software that will really alert you right away or alert the people on your um, on your support group right away right. Uh, that you need some help. And then, of course, those three things on prayer. Uh, maybe that's the way to back out. Right, but right. there's a good number of resources for Catholics out there. Right, and, and in those ways, whether it's in an organization as a sponsor or that kind of thing, that accountability is, is kind of like a guardian angel kind of thing, somebody who's there. Who, mm -hmm. who you feel you know yeah. might be able to say, "Hey, fellow, what are you what are you doing?" Or her these days. Next up, mm -hmm. uh, dear father. And I also uh, yeah. oh go ahead. Mm -hmm. No, no, I was just going to say in my book, Moral Wisdom, I've got a whole bunch of Catholic resources listed for how to back out of okay. uh, pornography, one of which, of course, mm. is the accountability right. uh, groups that right. I was just talking about. And, and to go with an old expression you don't hear very much, but I remember Mother used to talk about it, which was the idea of avoiding the occasion of sin. That, you know, yep, if you exactly. have a particular weakness, you have to understand that and not put yourself in the position as best you can where that temptation is going to hit you, so, right? Absolutely, and the best thing is nip it in the bud as quickly as possible. Right. The quicker you get to it, the better off you're gonna be. You start entertaining it, you're gonna become powerless in about right. 10, 15 minutes. Right, absolutely, and that's, that's the, the... Or less. Right, the, yeah. that's the Barney Fife rule. Uh, for people in the South, I yeah. understand. <laughs> That's uh, right. <laughs> here. Dear Father Spitzer, I hear <laughs> daily about how our cities are descending into lawlessness and chaos. So you can watch it on TV. Crime is escalating. People are attacked on the streets and in their homes. At some point, society will have to hit rock bottom. It's working on it. What is the Christian response when utter lawlessness hits our streets, Henry? Well, Henry, um, there's two things you can do. I mean, if you want to live a heroic existence, you can stay in a place that's just going crazy. Mm -hmm. But you can also look at, there's several different rankings of cities, mm -hmm. right, that are done, you know, most livable cities, but also there are rankings done just simply on the basis of crime. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, uh, I don't want to mention any of those cities, <laughs> but there are about five of them which are right at the top of the list mm -hmm. year after year. And a couple in my own home state here in California. Right. But the main thing to notice is if you don't want to live a heroic existence and be forming groups and trying to to do things to combat neighborhood safety, uh, I mean to, to guarantee mm -hmm. neighborhood safety, things of that nature, your best policy is move to one of the cities that's at the top of the list for, you know, least crime and mm -hmm. things of that nature because, I mean, once you're in a crime-ridden city, or you know, you have a couple of these cities where they actually defunded the police, right, things right. are so completely out of hand, 
you may as well just leave those cities. I know people have investments there. I know people have jobs there, and it's much easier said than done. But if you're stuck living in a city where they defunded the police, they've let the downtown area devolve into nothingness, at least you can try right. and move out to uh, the suburbs of that city, you know, and still maybe maintain mm -hmm. your job, go in uh, for your job, rather than have to, you know, exist, right. uh, you know, in, in, in the city center where now, of course, it's, 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 it's more blighted than ever, um, not just with crime, but with trash and, you know, with all it's kinds of It's apocalyptic, really. You know, That's what it looks like. It looks it's like, apocalyptic, it looks yeah. It's like Escape from New York oh, yeah. or Escape from L.A. or one of these Mad Max movies, yeah. you know. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Mad Max. Forgot about right, that. Mad right, Max. Right. Good. <laughs> And next up, Dear Father Spitzer, God is infinite and all-powerful because he knows all outside of time. He knows who would end up in heaven and who will end up in hell. Is free will just an illusion right. God has given us to help our limited minds understand why everything exists and why things happen the way they do? If he already knows the outcome, do we truly have free will, Bill? Yeah, Bill, uh, actually, what you're, there's a confusion there. Uh, you, it's a good question, mm -hmm. uh, but um, you don't want to confuse the eternal divine perspective uh, with the um, human uh, perspective. Uh, God respects our temporalized perspective, right? In other words, even if God has a sense of what outcomes are, mm -hmm. he allows these uh, to uh, play out in our existence, in our temporalized realm, in our stretched out realm. So he's not going to interfere with our choice. So in other words, God's knowledge of future contingents does not have to affect us who are living in time, mm -hmm. making our decisions in time. Mm -hmm. So he does not have to, uh, to do that. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't do that because obviously he wants us to be free. And um, does, uh, you know, it's, again, you know, if, if God thinks of a square, he mm -hmm. doesn't have to become a square. Mm -hmm. But of course, if God thinks of a square, everything on the earth doesn't have to become square either. So, of course, the, the idea is from moving from the divine perspective, God can allow temporality to exist in, in our whole conscious domain mm. of existence. And indeed, he created that whole existence. So he not only can allow free choice to exist mm. for us, uh, he can refuse to tamper with that free choice, regardless of what uh, the outcome that he foresees will be. So you don't want to impose his perspective you don't want to, uh, not impose, you don't want to take his perspective and say that his perspective is determinative of mm -hmm. what happens in our world, in our perspective, where we do not know uh, what the future is. And of course, he doesn't have to uh, influence us one bit uh, toward, the, uh, toward the future that, mm -hmm. is, uh, that will come out, even though we don't know it ahead right. of time, even though in our existence, it's almost as if things that uh, that right. may be are sort of stretched out 
uh, into a temporalized existence. And I'll tell you, this one question, it's such a good question, right. because Calvin got into it right. uh, so desperately that he thought that God's knowledge of future contingents would automatically preclude human freedom, and that's why he came up with the predestination theory he did. You know, mm -hmm. there's not a darn thing you can do. Well, there is a darn thing you can do. You can make really good free choices mm -hmm. for God. And, uh, and he, he basically right. just pulled down the divine perspective and said, you're predetermined. Uh-uh, you're not predetermined by God. You're predetermined in the sense by the choices that you freely make in the present. Right. That's what is the determining factor. Whether God knows what your free choices will wind up doing or not, whether mm -hmm. you know, uh, and you, of course you can't know fully what your free choices will do, but we don't understand right. what it's like to live in an eternal now, and right. it's just useless trying to bring that right. perspective out. I've known of really good philosophers who've tortured themselves endlessly mm -hmm. on trying to pull out of their own temporalized perspective in order to get into the eternal now to make a judgment about whether or not we can be truly free. Mm -hmm. I assure you, if God lives in an eternal now and knows the future that we cannot know, right. I can assure you he can allow us to be free within right. the scope of our uh, subordinated temporalized perspectives in order for us to get uh, right. those free choices made in the future. So predetermination right. by God, hardly. Predetermination right. by your own free choices that are lived out, right. ah, that's what's going to happen. Right. And that's what Christian theology holds. Right. Well, uh, this is uh, this is kind of a, a bad example, but maybe I was thinking of like a football game between two particular teams. Now, obviously, our, our Lord knows who's going to win that game. Does, uh, does that yeah. mean the team shouldn't try or nobody is supposed to do the best they can to try and win the game <laughs> exactly. because he already knows who's exactly. going to win? I mean, how much sense does yeah. that make, right? So, so, so we all give up. The Calvinist uh, football game, everybody just lays down the football. <laughs> Says, well, the Lord knows who won and uh, he'll let us know at the end of time. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. yeah, that's right. <laughs> anyway, all right. Next up, dear Father Spitzer, the church assumes a marriage between two Catholics to be valid unless one of them seeks and obtains an annulment. Then the church may declare the marriage never existed. If two people had grounds for annulment but never knew and lived a long and happy life together, would they receive the graces of the sacrament of matrimony as if they were actually married? It's Paul. No, Paul, you, got, you really do have to pursue uh, the annulment. So the idea of ignorance saving you here is not going to work because, you know, basically there is a recourse, namely annulment, so you should go through the annulment right. procedure, right, well, to see whether right. or not the grounds are there. You don't want to live in ignorance, right. uh, you know, and then sort of say, well, I had a long and happy life, but I didn't pursue the annulment, so I never saw whether the grounds were there or not. Mm -hmm. Find out. And uh, I would say, you know, just go to your local I, I'm not saying you, but tell your friends or whoever to right. go to the local priest and, you know, initiate an annulment proceedings and be really honest right. in the annulment proceedings and you'll see whether or not, right. um, you know, the, the condition you're living in uh, is one that's uh, uh, holy or is not holy. Well, let me ask you this question because this is picking up on the second part of his question and maybe looking at it slightly different, oh. where he says, if two people had grounds for an annulment, let's say they were married, but they never yeah. knew the, uh, uh, that they had grounds for an annulment, 
and they lived a life together and they were very happy, uh, would they receive the graces of the sacrament of matrimony as if they were actually married? So, I, I you know, well, I'm confused. Of double. course you'd receive. Yeah, if you were married. Yeah, no, if they're even, actually married. Right. Then they would. Yeah, why do you worry about it. grounds for annulment? Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I'm, it may be one of, yeah. one of two answers there, depending on what the person actually meant. So we apologize for not. Oh, oh yeah, I get you. Being as clear yeah. in uh, understanding the question, maybe, as we should have. Dear Father sure. Spitzer, why does the church yeah. require so little of those seeking the sacrament of marriage? In our diocese, in that diocese, couples go on a weekend retreat, have a few counseling sessions, and are deemed ready for a lifelong commitment. Seminarians study for years before holy orders. Wouldn't expecting more of those seeking marriage help them when they finally do marry? And this is Alex. Well, I do think, you know, um, we, we have pretty much established a minimum requirement, mm. which frankly is more than any other church Absolutely. requires. Right, That's right. the first thing. Uh, the second thing is couples can do on their own mm -hmm. additional things. Like there's an engaged encounter. There are all kinds of things um, that you can do that go beyond what is the minimum. So the church, what you're probably thinking about is the minimum, mm -hmm. and the minimum is the minimum. So, um, but the church, in the Catholic Church, there are all kinds of good programs. Mm -hmm. There are not just retreats and, um, you know, but you can do all the, you know, a good battery of psychological tests. You mm -hmm. can also do the engaged encounter. You can also uh, do some additional courses on the challenges of marriage and things of that nature. But you might want to ask your priest, mm -hmm for your di uh, in your diocese right. what are some of the additional programs that you could do and so if you know a couple that's getting married now some of them of course just want to do the minimum but there are a lot of couples out there who really want their marriages to be satisfying and long-lasting and they will do additional things if people recommend some additional things so even though they went through the typical uh, parish um, a program, right. you know, maybe the four classes, whatever, uh, in right. that the pre-cana program that's mm -hmm. in your diocese, the requirement. Mm -hmm. Maybe you might say, "Hey, you really ought to go on this engaging encounter," uh, you know, in addition to that, because there's a lot more there, mm -hmm. um, you know. And then you might want to just go ahead and just look at some of these uh, tests that you can get done at XYZ organization, the Catholic Church has these things mm -hmm. that can pretty much alert you to some of the problem areas you're likely to find uh, when you have, you know, the different personalities. People, honestly, when your <laughs> love is blind, mm -hmm. and it does cause you to, in, in many respects, ignore things right. that you would ordinarily um, think, I can't live with this. Right. So, you know, I, I always say, you know, if you're a level two, a level three, or a level four person, in other words, you're living for contribution and for faith in God and the kingdom of God. If that's what you're living for, if you're going to marry a level one or a level two person, that is to say, somebody who's basically living for materialism and pleasure and mm -hmm. for ego, um, uh, you know, uh, centricity and for uh, you know ego. Um, manifestation and, and ego domination, mm -hmm. hey, 
you know, you're not going to have a long-lasting happy marriage. You got to make sure, you know. And people say, well, you know, uh, you know, my husband to be doesn't have a religious commitment of any kind, but he's a really good man, mm -hmm. and so forth and so on. My thought is probe deeper, mm -hmm. you know, because if they don't have the religious commitment, you oftentimes wonder, is it because they don't want to have um, responsibility to a moral agency outside of themselves? And if mm -hmm. that's the case, why would that be if they're such a good moral man? Right. You know, what are their morals and so forth? And what do they subscribe right. to? What, what are they willing to subordinate themselves to? So my thought always is, Beware, if you're a level three and level four person, beware mm -hmm. somebody who is a level two ego comparative or a level one material and pleasure oriented person or both, beware of them in sheep's clothing. Mm -hmm. They can look like they're really nice people and so forth and then you get married and yike, the <laughs> sheep's clothing comes off and, <laughs> uh, and you are just stuck. Right. So um, it's the most important decision of your life be super, super careful of what you're getting. Uh, don't let love blind you to the realities of that person. Right, absolutely, absolutely. Next up, dear Father Spitzer, is it necessary for one to receive communion at Mass if they are in a state of grace? I recently watched EW10's excellent coverage of World Youth Day. Thank you, uh, our great team, uh, Rike Duprat and Peter Gang and his whole team and all our people around the world worked really hard for the last year to make that all happen. And, I don't want to mention all the guys who, who work on our team because I don't have time, so I just want to honor them. However, I was disturbed by the pictures I saw of pre-consecrated hosts stored in plastic tubs to be distributed at the Mass. Would it not show more respect to Jesus to ask the lay participants to offer a spiritual communion instead of trying to distribute hosts to hundreds of thousands of people at once? Marie. Absolutely not, Marie. I know that you're well intended here, but the, that's the real body and blood of Christ. Mm -hmm. And it's always better to receive the real body and blood of Christ than a spiritual communion. Now, uh, you know, the plastic cups, I'm sorry to hear about that, mm -hmm. but I do think that the distribution to the hundreds of thousands of people, I think that's a perfectly Jesus thing to do. Mm -hmm. To you know, to feed the 5,000 right. is a Absolutely. perfectly good Jesus thing to do. And no, spiritual communion is not a substitute for the real thing. And unfortunately, I mean, plastic isn't the most, you know, distinguished and mm -hmm. you know worthy way of serving up our Lord but on the other hand you know it's our Lord that matters and we right. shouldn't let the the cup that our Lord is in be the you know cause for people not receiving his real body right. and blood right. you know we want to throw the baby out with the bathwater absolutely so we got to stick with the real thing right Okay, very good. Uh, four minutes to go to the break. Dear Father Spitzer, I plan to move out of my dorm in college for the upcoming semester. Now, I have two friends, one male, one female, who are not involved with each other, but they're sharing an apartment. They have room for me. My parents object, saying even if there's no romantic involvement, the arrangement gives the appearance of scandal. It could also lead to premarital sex if any of us develop feelings for each other in the future. Is it wrong for three unrelated persons of different sexes to live together? Carrie. Well, Aaron, I guess uh, here's my thought. Um, I know what's being done all the time, but your parents are really right. Mm -hmm. You know, honestly, 
it's what we were just calling the near occasion of sin. Right. Uh, this is a pretty good example of it. You know, you, you just don't want to put yourself in, you know, I know you think it's innocent when things, when you don't have a relationship with somebody, but it, it, your parents are right on when they say, well, gosh, you could start developing feelings for this woman, mm -hmm. which she's a woman. And, and so you, you got to expect that could happen. And, you know, if you're living right there with her and then the occasion presents itself, weakness can just topple over into, uh, uh, into something that you don't want to get into. I mean, it just—it's it, probably all prudence and wisdom. Mm -hmm. Even though I know you've probably got friends who are doing this and they think nothing of it, and they tell you nothing's going to happen, things happen. Mm -hmm. They just do. Men can't be living under the same roof with women, you know, and think that you know, 90% of the time there aren't going to be some feelings. There's not going to be some weakness. There's mm -hmm. not going to be some propensity. There's just a natural attraction there. And so I just say, I think your parents are right. And, I, you know, I, I know you, you have to be countercultural to, to do this, but I think it's better if you get either a place on your own or a place with two male friends or something right. like that. I think your parents are smart right. thinking. Yeah, or vice versa. You know, maybe you can get some people and they could swap each other so it's all same sex in the... Yeah. All the same sex yeah. in, in each of the apartments, so to speak, rather than uh, trying to uh -huh. find somebody else to do that. We've got about 30 seconds, yeah. dear Father Spitzer. I like to read the old Baltimore Catechism. I came across a passage that says, we do not slight God by addressing our prayers to the saints. It shows greater respect for God by acknowledging that we are unworthy to address Him for ourselves. Are we really unworthy to pray directly to God? Is it disrespectful to pray for Him directly? Greg. I'm not sure where it said that in the Baltimore oh, no. Catechism, but I don't think it does. But uh, uh, I wouldn't interpret the Catechism that way. No. I don't remember that, no. uh, honestly. Uh, but I could be mistaken. But I'll tell you one thing: it's certainly not sinful to pray directly to God, and we do pray directly to God uh, all the time, mm -hmm. uh, even when we're at the Mass and. These prayers are directed at God, um, you know, and not through a, a mediator. Uh, and we pray through Jesus Christ. But, you know, if you look at the prayers of the Mass, 95% mm. of them are directed to the, our Heavenly Father. Right. Uh, you know, and I know there's the Lamb of God and other kinds of things. But by and large, mm -hmm. it's a prayer directly to the Father and or directly to Jesus. Gotcha. So um, you can do that. and. I'm not sure. Uh, I think yeah, you might I mean, be interpreting that passage yeah, in an odd way. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think uh, praying through the saints is fantastic. It's a great thing in the Catholic Church, but uh, yeah. praying to God directly is is a primary appeal. Okay, with Perfectly that said, permissible. Right, absolutely. And in fact, we're encouraged. Be, absolutely. <laughs> we're going to be back with more of your questions after this quick break here on Father Spitzer's Universe. Stay with us. Appreciate you staying with us for part two of Father Spencer's Universe. We're answering your questions, all sent in by you. 
our viewers, so don't forget to keep sending them in. But first, I want to remind you, before we get to Father again, about the National Eucharistic Revival coming up next year on the 2024 calendar, July 17th through the 21st in Indianapolis, Indiana. Celebrate the power of the Eucharist with us. Go to EW10.com forward slash Eucharist to see how you can register at a special discounted rate. And uh, it'd be great if you can register through us and help the Eucharistic Congress out. And I know I'm pretty sure there's going to be a great amount of wonderful speakers and great events happening there. And I'm pretty sure somewhere along the line, uh, Mr. Universe is going to be there as well, I'm, uh, I'm sure, at, at that particular <laughs> event. So uh, if you haven't gotten a chance to see him in person at our Phoenix event uh, <laughs> last year, this will be an opportunity maybe if you go to the Eucharist Congress to see Father Spitzer in person. So with that said, we're going to go to Absolutely. another question. Dear Father Spitzer, some sure. members of our parish want to construct a meditation garden on parish grounds that will include a labyrinth walk. Others object to the labyrinth, saying it can be a new age practice and opens up to things we don't want. I know there are labyrinths in the, a lot of the old cathedrals, but what does the church say about a connection to new age practices? And this is Andrea, and uh, yeah, more of a dust well, up Andrea, about that. Andrea, I wasn't aware that the yeah. labyrinth was a new age practice, but I mean, you can always put in the labyrinth, hmm. right? You can put little statues and things of that nature. Uh, in there, you can make it a very uh, holy walk, even though it's a, a labyrinth. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, uh, uh, you know, I, but I wasn't aware that it yeah. had anything to do with yeah. New Age. Mm -hmm. I can think of meditation chapels that are uh, gardens that are better than than uh, having a labyrinth. Right. You know, I I think just having something reflective and peaceful mm -hmm. uh, with Our Lady in a grotto or some um, you know the Sacred Heart in a grotto or something of that nature has always been great. I mean, uh, gosh, you know, I, I know in Portland they have a couple of these places over at the Servite um, uh, little uh, a shrine there. Mm -hmm. um, and they have a couple of great gardens with these grottos that they've done so well with. And they're very peaceful and they are populated right. by lots and lots of people. So maybe that might be the right. better way to go than right. a labyrinth. But I mean, you could make a labyrinth a, a very holy thing, um, right. you know. And uh, but it was. I, I mean, it I did, don't did know. get some abuse in the, in like the 90s and the late 80s, where there was uh, kind of oh, a, really? a certain new agey aspect to it that was was floating around inside oh, the church. Okay. So yeah, that probably would not be the best thing to right. do then. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Next, I, hadn't, I hadn't heard of it. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, dear Father Spitzer, I know it's a serious sin if we miss Sunday Mass without a valid reason. If we have a valid reason like dangerous weather conditions or sick child at home, we're excused from our obligation. How do we define a good reason? Some would say being away on vacation or traveling to a child's soccer tournament out of town constitutes a good reason. How do we determine, Frank? Well, I would stop right there at the child's soccer tournament. Yeah, yeah. I think there are other ways of getting to the soccer tournament. Mm -hmm. uh, you can always try and make it to mass. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many options on Saturday night anymore. And now on Sunday night, if you just check wherever that tournament is, mm -hmm. I mean, there's going to be masses that are outside the confines uh, of the tournament. Um, and, you know, tournaments any, these days, you know, they, they're not going to last all evening long, um, you know, so there are possibilities. Or 
you know, let's face it, are they going to get started before 9 o'clock in the morning? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so the, uh, maybe they do, but, uh, uh, you know, there's going to be some times and some availability. Right. Uh, so I would say that you, you have to try and do your very best to get to Mass. I forget what the other uh, the thought you had was, of, oh, being on vacation. Right. Again, you know, if you're on a vacation or you're out in the backwoods and canoeing, okay, just tell your priest you're going to go on this vacay. Uh, any chance you could just substitute in when you come back, mm. uh, you know, a daily mass because you're going to be in the outback. But if you're really in a, another city or another right. town, there's a parish there. And, gee, I know so many of my friends, you know, they they always do the research ahead of time. Right, and right. They right. figure out where they can go and and they do. They just right. make a real good effort to do it, and that's the best way to do it. Right, and that's probably the best. Which is, like you said, in a sense, make a best case effort. You, you, you uh, mass, you yeah. know, masstimes.org or whatever the particular websites that are out there. And yeah. anytime you can go to any particular diocese, you can go to the diocese and look up on their website yeah. all the various parishes where they are mm -hmm. and all the various <clears throat> options you have. Right. So, absolutely. Absolutely. Dear Father Spitzer, my aunt and uncle served as my godparents when I was baptized. They never were part of my faith life as I grew up. They have now left the church completely. Is it possible to replace them as my godparents with someone who is more devout and has shown greater concern in helping me advance in my spiritual life? Lisa. Well, Lisa, I'm assuming you are an adult yourself given the fact that you're um, godparents have left and everything. Mm -hmm. So if you're an adult, probably getting a substitute godparent is no longer necessary right. uh, because you clearly, here you are writing into EWTN, mm -hmm. you've got a very good hold on your spiritual life, uh, much more so than you could ever, uh, you know, get, uh, even if you were, um, you know, uh, one of the um, um, you had a really super good godparent, mm -hmm. right? So the, uh, uh, I would just say, uh, don't so much worry about that. But instead, uh, I would say, rather than worry about a godparent, see if you can get a pretty good spiritual director right. uh, there. Uh, it sounds like you got a real interest uh, in doing, you know, getting some advancement in your spiritual life. You may want to try and um, get maybe somebody at one of the monasteries that are nearby or uh, someone like that uh, or a retreat house that's nearby who could be a pretty good spiritual director for you. Mm -hmm. And that might be a better use of right. your thoughts and your time. Right, very good. Next up, Dear Father Spitzer, yesterday I observed a communicant dropped the host as it was handed to him, pick it up off the floor and ingest mm -hmm. it. The priest, a very holy one, did not react is this the correct protocol? I understand it was sudden and unexpected, and our Lord understands that, but the spot on the floor where his body landed was stepped on over and over again afterwards. Am I being scrupulous about this, Joyce? Yeah, well, I would say not really being scrupulous. The, I mean, normally the, the, your good holy priest uh, probably, you know, um, uh, you know, you know, was kind of taken by surprise mm -hmm. and probably, you know, didn't, you know, think to stop everything and, and do the usual protocol. But the usual protocol uh, would be uh, to just, uh, if you don't have time, mm -hmm. is to take a purificator and put it over the spot where the host had dropped. 
so if you don't want to like interrupt the the mass so that people you know people are not going to step on a purificator mm. right they're they're going to um, step over it and um, and so you know the objective would be to get that uh, cleaned a little mm. bit later uh, but that would be the, the secondary okay. protocol the first protocol of course would like at a week day mass where you had very few people you could actually uh, just go right away uh, and and uh, purify the spot mm -hmm. but if not just put a purificator over come back and purify the spot later but I think what happened your priest got uh, maybe discombobulated because it happened fast and and um, and you know the rest as they say is history right. so um, I'm sure our Lord knew he was discombobulated right. so but normally no you should put a purificator over right. the spot okay. at the very least okay very good dear father Spitzer a video is circulating of a confirmation ceremony I guess this is on the internet ceremony in Brazil it shows a young girl who was just confirmed kneeling to receive communion the bishop refused to give her communion because she was kneeling and eventually went and sat down rather than to give her communion Further examination of the video shows the bishop gave others communion in the hand after first dipping the host in the chalice of precious blood. I pray that this girl's faith and love for our Lord is not diminished and the bishop would gain a fraction of this girl's faith. Okay, that's a comment. What are your thoughts, Claire? Well, Claire, I, I, I can't possibly explain that bishop's actions. Mm -hmm. I, I hope that video was not tampered with or mm. you know it something seems weird to me but I have no explanation for his actions and I do not agree with them mm. um, you know I think uh, you know in some dioceses they require that you not kneel uh, to receive Holy Communion um, and um, uh, you know I, I would just say uh, the, the only thing you can do in, in that case, if you're in a parish that, that, or a diocese that does that, is find a parish where people, you know, have a separate line where they could kneel or, or do something, uh, you know, to, to receive communion as they would want. Uh, the difficulty um, is, uh, you know, that he, he's the bishop, mm -hmm. and so um, he's the ordinary. And so uh, my own thought would be, even though it is contrary to your own uh, piety, our Lord understands if in obedience to this bishop, you receive it uh, from your hands, mm. rather than not take the Lord at all. Mm -hmm. um, I know that seems um, like uh, you're just stepping around your piety, but I would say that He's the bishop, and uh, there is something to be said for um, obedience, but in the future, you could ignore that bishop's masses, mm -hmm. or, mm -hmm. you know, you could uh, avoid him. Uh, but um, I, I would say, you know, he is the bishop, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, um, uh, rather than not receive our Lord, mm -hmm. uh, it would, of course, be better to receive our Lord on the hand. He knows that you would rather not do this. He knows that you would rather be kneeling. But, you know, mm -hmm. you're receiving him uh, even in this very subordinated and, and terrible state, uh, you know, from, from your point of view, mm -hmm. to it, in order to uh, receive him because mm -hmm. that's the center. He's the center of the Mass, and you don't want to miss communion and transformation mm -hmm. 
through him uh, because uh, you're getting sort of an oppressive view. Mm -hmm. So that's that's my, my viewpoint. Right. The other part of the question, I guess, she, she related to intinction there, I guess, that the bishop was doing intinction of oh. the precious blood. And then I guess, which obviously you can do. I've I guess, never heard of that in my entire life. Like to doing, uh, doing intinction yeah. and then putting it onto a person's, a person's hand. hand. I mean, that, that was that the is, question. That sounds, I think that was part of their concern too, I mean. Oh, well, uh, let me tell you, if that's going on, mm -hmm. I'm quite sure there's a canon. I, I'm not a canon lawyer. Mm -hmm. I don't know uh, this for sure. But I know somewhere in the Roman Missal, or mm -hmm. somewhere in the uh, in the in canon law, there's got to be uh, something that prohibits yeah, I mean, tension and then playing it onto the hand. Somebody's hand. I mean, hand, this sounds right. uh, incredible, right. uh, absolutely incredible. Right. So absolutely. I, I've never heard of that. But yeah. uh, anyway. Um, Unfortunately, wow. it doesn't mean it didn't happen or it's not happening, <laughs> because yeah. we can always be surprised. Right. Okay, here's another question yeah. for your father. Dear Father Spitzer, a woman has serious complications during her pregnancy and is ordered by the doctor to not become pregnant again because of the risk. If she becomes pregnant again, would it be, would an abortion be allowed to save her? Leah or Lee? Oh, if she became pregnant again, yeah. would an abortion be necessary, to, uh, allowed to save her? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, basically, if she became pregnant again and you were not intending to abort the child, but you were intending to save, and that's what your example is saying, mm -hmm. you, that, the, uh, that you were intending to save the life of the mother, and in trying to save the life of the mother, the child was secondarily, but not intentionally aborted, mm -hmm. then it, it, it would be permitted in the eyes of the church by a principle called double effect. Mm -hmm. uh, however, uh, just to intentionally abort the child straight out without yeah. the true purpose being to save the life of the mother would not be permitted by Catholic theology. Now, um, you know, all that being said, um, you know, I, I think uh, uh, there are a lot of good Catholic doctors out there right. who can tell you that rarely, ever so rarely, as an intentional abortion needed mm -hmm. to save the life of the mother. Right. And, you know, um, contrary to what we hear all the a, time in the political world yeah. and from Planned Parenthood. Right. Yeah. Right. And there's a very good um, uh, a group called the American Association of Pro Life um, uh, uh, Obstetricians and Gynecologists called APLOG, A A P L O G. And they have all kinds of Q&A mm -hmm. things that could probably one of them says right outright mm -hmm. how many times an abortion uh, would be required, um, you know, that would not be incidental uh, to saving the life of the mother and then secondarily happening. I'm sure it's like, you know, 0.01% or less. So, I mean, I think right. always a good Catholic obstetrician um, right. could basically, uh, and, you know, and, assure you that right. in trying to save the life of the mother, the child got aborted or right. wasn't, didn't have to be aborted, right. was able to find Right, absolutely, life, and obviously uh, you're that. trying to save the life of both of them at, at the same time, which is yes. why you're trying to save the life of the mother so yeah. that uh, she can give birth. But you yeah. think about how many times you know probably anecdotally, let alone stories we hear all the time, 
about people who were told, oh, you can't get pregnant, you can't have a child, this child isn't going to make it uh, full term or whatever, and people have, you know, have the child, and the, the birth goes fine, yeah. or if there's some complications the, the, with the technology we have today, it can be dealt with. That's right, and I, exactly, and I know just as many couples who don't listen to that advice and have had several really wonderful, good, healthy pregnancies. Sometimes they've had tough pregnancies. Sometimes, you know, uh, they have saved both the life of the child and the mother, and sometimes in order to save the life of the mom, mm -hmm. uh, the child is inadvertently aborted. But, uh, you know, the, uh, you know uh, uh, I think in all cases, if you really are open to wanting to have another child, and it's not a certainty as diagnosed by a good Catholic pro-life um, obstetrician or, or um, gynecologist, then I would say um, you should have, try to, to try and fulfill your wishes. It's not um, uh, something that is, uh, you know, a certainty by any means. It, this is very, very, um, you know, tenuous uh, sort of logic, and people try mm -hmm. to make it into a certainty when in point of fact it isn't. But like I said, there's a very good group, AppLog, right. where you can get all the stats on this and uh, they can actually answer um, questions for you uh, regarding, um, you know, pregnancy and, and, you know, trying to get pregnant again uh, in certain circumstances. They're really good, good people. Right, and like you said, it's important in those cases for you to get somebody who's like that, who's a, has got a Catholic perspective and isn't just taking a more secular mm -hmm. idea of like, well, it doesn't really matter, so, uh, you know, this is the safest thing for you to yeah. do. Okay. So, mm -hmm. another question in the closing yeah. minutes of the program. Uh, Dear Father Spitzer, the Gospel of Matthew traces the genealogy of Jesus ending with Joseph, the husband of Mary. How can Jesus be called the descendant of David since Joseph is only a foster father and not the actual father of course, of our Lord. This is Mike. Yeah, well, uh, here is the, uh, um, uh, the actual thought, hmm. is, you know, when you uh, take a look at, you know, a descendant of David, um, you know, of course, Mary is uh, thought also to be, a, uh, you know, a descendant of David, but the, the main part is that surely he comes from this lineage, and even if the foster father um, of Jesus um, is uh, uh, just a foster father because God is really the true father of Jesus. Mm -hmm. He still is in the lineage of David. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, there's not an objection really, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, from that point of view. He was raised by the descendant of mm -hmm. David. And so we consider, uh, even though he's a foster father, mm -hmm. we consider uh, Jesus to be a descendant of David. And by the way, Mary is very likely to be a descendant of David uh, as well. And in that case, Jesus is a true right. descendant of David. In right. either case, though, the church's teaching is, right. is uh, fine. And, and so, you but you're, you're correct. Uh, right. that's, that's the genealogy in Matthew. Right. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Of course, Matthew was, uh, you know, writing for a Jewish audience, you know, yeah. talking about a Jew, if he didn't think that was an important thing or that they would accept that in the light of how yeah. it's expressed, 
he, he wouldn't have bothered going through the genealogy, I guess. Right? Oh, yeah, that's right. Certainly, because, of course, he, he certainly believed in the virginal conception right. uh, of Jesus, and no question about that. He oh. says it so explicitly uh, three different times, or in three different ways, I should say, in his gospel. So, uh, okay. no problem there. Okay, uh, very you're good. You're absolutely right about that. Okay. Uh, let's see. Dear Father Spitzer, why does the Apostles' Creed include the statement, on the third day he rose from the dead? Jesus only rose from the dead one time. Does the creed imply that Jesus rose from the dead the first time to descend into hell, and then he died again, and then rose again from the dead the second time? In my 68 years as a Catholic, I have never been taught that Jesus rose from the dead twice. This is Steve. I should hope he wasn't taught that. Uh. <laughs> he certainly didn't. Uh, no, he rose from the dead once, uh, you know, and right uh, after his uh, resurrection from the dead, mm -hmm. uh, he goes down to the d domain of Sheol, and in the domain of, uh, this is the, the, the domain of the dead, the shadowy, ghostly world of the dead, where people are kind of, uh, in the Jewish view, stored there mm -hmm. uh, in a kind of a uh, semi-living, ghost-like living condition mm -hmm. until, of course, the Messiah should come and then uh, there would be the judgment. So the idea, uh, the idea of going to hell, right, uh, first of all, it's that, uh, the word hell is the English translation for the Greek Hades which is the Greek translation of Sheol, the domain of the dead. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean the domain of the damned. That's a very different view of hell. Right. So what in the Jewish faith, the idea of having Sheol, and this in the later books of the Old Testament, mm -hmm. Sheol is everywhere present, right? And the, uh, the people who are in the domain of Sheol are awaiting the Messiah, and of course, in um, the book of wisdom, you can surely see uh, awaiting some, uh, you know, judgment uh, as to go to heaven or hell. And in some other books of the Old Testament, we see the same thing. So, the idea um, uh, for uh, for the author there is not a double resurrection. All of the, you know, when Jesus uh, is risen, he's uh, definitely going to do his job as the risen Messiah, the Son of God. Uh, he's going to go to Sheol. He's going to rescue everybody who ha was a just person who died before the time um, uh, that uh, Jesus uh, was born into the world. And, uh, of course, his uh, resurrection would be good for all the people after that time who believed in him and put their faith in him. Okay, very good. Well, we are just about out of time, Father. So uh, you can you can you can do a long blessing on this on this particular program if you'd like. <laughs> Very good then, and may Almighty God send His Spirit down upon you, a spirit of true wisdom and love. Above all, a spirit of faith, of faith too, in His Holy Spirit moving and working in the life of the Church to bring us to the truth to bring us to the living presence of Christ in the Holy Eucharist, to bring us to the community of living faith and the tradition that was initiated through his son so that you might have true life in you, be brought to the fullness of life, and lead others into the fullness of that light and love. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. 
Thank you so much, Father Spitzer. Always a pleasure. Be well, and we shall see you next time. And don't forget, Father Spitzer's books and DVDs are always available through our EWTN Religious Catalog. You see on your screen just some of them to consider. Check out our website for that. And next week, we'll return to Father's book, The Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church. We just are scratching the surface on that one. Uh, bookmark, don't forget, uh, each weekend on Sunday at 10 a.m., uh, a different interview with another interesting Catholic author. So check out, see who's on this week. And Father Spitzer's Universe is available as a podcast on EW10's Podcast Central. So not only a video, but an audio. If that's easier for you to listen on your phone or in your car, go to EW10.com forward slash radio and click on podcasts. You can listen to, we got Mother Angelica, Father Spitzer, all your other favorites, all the radio shows, almost all the TV shows. It's all free, as we mentioned always with EWTN. That's EWTN's Podcast Central. Check it out and check us out next time when we once more re-enter Father Spitzer's universe. Thanks for being with us.